Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. That was close, Gavin. The Knicks held a 20-plus point lead at one point over the Minnesota Timberwolves at home. They managed to lose that lead in the final minutes and then put their foot on the gas, got the last couple buckets they needed, made some clutch free throws, and came out with a win, 103-99 over the Timberwolves. Yeah, another big night for Julius Randle, 25 points, 14 boards, 4 assists. We get into his final statement to try and lock up a reserve spot on the Eastern Conference All-Star team. R.J. Barrett, I thought one of his better games in, I'll say the second half, of this season for the Knicks. He was spectacular as well. We'll talk a little bit about a struggling second unit, a tough night in particular for the two rookies, and much, much more on this edition of Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Locked on Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get twenty percent off your next order. So, Gavin, as we mentioned, top of the show or top of the intro, I should say this is the top of the show. I, oh, I guess I should mention I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Knicks site, The Strickland. You can find us at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, play-by-play announcer by day. About to be working again, right, Gavin? About to be back to work for for play by play at some point in the future. Yeah, yeah, near near future. I'm kind of uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm waiting waiting on that precious vaccination. But yeah, as soon as as soon as that comes in, yeah. I mean, high school sports are are back, which is which is really exciting. Um, yeah, yeah, very very excited to get back to that. I, I was worried for a second when you didn't introduce us, Alex. I was like, oh, did they give the podcast back to James? Is is Jared doing it now? I wasn't sure, so I was happy. I was happy you remember that. Yeah, I was just so excited to get into this like nearly blown game by the Knicks. Like, <laughs> it was certainly exciting for all the wrong reasons down the stretch. And you know, I blame myself for even having nice thoughts about this game because the Knicks were up by what was their biggest lead? Twenty one. Yeah, they were up by twenty one. Was they were up by twenty one in the third quarter, and I I let myself think for a moment, man. This is exactly what I needed after how bad that last game was. A, a nice, comfortable win against a team that they should beat is exactly what I needed today. And then they just didn't do that. And they let the Wolves come back. And they, you know, the Wolves took the lead with like, I think, less than a minute to go or, or just over a minute. And then the Knicks managed to make the buckets that they needed to make to win this game, uh, mostly some clutch free throws right down the stretch by Julius Randle and Alec, Alec Burks. Uh, R.J. Barrett had a really clutch layup as well. Just a, a pretty good ending to the game, even though it, it was a bad way to get there, Gavin. But what was uh, sort of your grand sweeping takeaway about this game? Ooh, I don't I don't know if I had a positive one. I, it got me 
My, my, my biggest one was that if the Knicks continue to play like this, they're, they are not going to make the playoffs and they're not going to win a, a ton of games. And we, we had that big conversation after the Hawks game. And I was like, you know what? I, I don't really know what's best for the Knicks in terms of them either like going on a big run and making the playoffs and getting a competitive playoff series or them like losing a bunch of games and tanking and, and kind of going to the gutter. Um, I know what I would enjoy watching more, but I don't know what's actually better for the future of the franchise. But what I did say was, ultimately, if they play like this, they're going to make the playoffs. And since then, they proceeded to put together, I would say, their worst two-game stretch of the season. And it was because they were playing the completely depleted Magic and then a, a fairly depleted T-Wolves team that uh, they came out of those two games one and one. But uh, they're, they're going to have to shape up quickly. And it, it's not really on their stars because Julius Randle, I didn't think this was his best game. And that's that's a testament to how incredibly good he's been this year because he had 25 points 14 boards four assists and was insanely efficient as usual eight, eight for 16 from the field made half of his four threes uh missed just one of eight free throws and, and then rj barrett was also amazing it, it was essentially on everyone else last night or, or rather tonight i'm trying to already like you put this game out of my mind um that this game was close uh particularly the second unit really really struggling in this one yeah it was another weird game where the the second unit for the first couple games of Derrick Rose, you know, was like, we were like, oh man, the the real show starts once the starters get out. And now it's like, I never want the starters to sit. Like, what is going on with the second unit? And I think it's mostly that like Rose and Quickly are both, I mean, these last two games, they have stunk, like with a capital S. They've been bad. Um, Quickly, maybe not so much in his approach. It's just shots not going down. You know, I think that the floaters just completely left him for some reason. He made like what felt like 90% of his floaters for the first however many games of the season. And now it seems like every time it goes up, he's either, you know, going a little too long and hitting back rim or or coming up short with it or whatever. But they he just doesn't have it with that shot right now. And then with Rose, it's just, I mean, it was kind of just bad shot selection. Like between the two of them, uh, two for 13 in this game. Uh, and only nine points between them, you know, that's, they were able to get six uh, attempts at the free throw line between them quickly only made two of his four, which was super uncharacteristic for him. Uh, makes me think he's just kind of slumping right now. Maybe for quickly, the all-star break can't come soon enough, which is now only a, what, two and a half weeks away. Something like that. Maybe not even, it was like March 7th. They're doing the all-star break. Yeah, so, you. yeah. So, I mean, you know, quickly is just maybe hitting a bit of a rookie wall right now. Um, Rose, it just kind of seems like it's going to be a, a hit or miss proposition with him sometimes. It, it does seem like he's still of the frame of mind that his shot has to be going to some degree uh, for it to, you know, reflect on team success, which is a little troublesome. Um, but I guess we'll see. I don't know. I mean, hopefully hopefully Tibbs can start kind of pointing stuff out to him and being like, look, you need to distribute a little more uh, and look to get your teammates involved rather than taking these ISOs or whatever that just don't work out. Like these mid-range shots are not good shots, but we also know that Tibbs loves Derek Rose. So, you know, there's, there's that to consider. Um, but I, I guess we'll see as far as that's concerned. But yeah, it, the bench all in all is very concerning. I mean, all you have to do for once, I actually feel like this game was very indicative uh, with the plus minus of players impacts on the game. Other than maybe Nerlens Noel, who I think kind of got a short end of a stick in in that regard, but like RJ Barrett, team high plus twenty, uh, Julius Randle plus eleven, 
And then you got guys like Rose was a minus 12, quickly was a minus 10. Um, you know, that I think that was pretty, pretty indicative of, of how things actually shook down other than maybe again, Noel was a minus four. Taj Gibson was a plus eight. Taj did have a very, very effective stretch of play during the third quarter in this game, which was part of the Knicks, like almost putting the game away. But uh, Noel, I thought played a pretty good game as well, but all in all this, this game belonged to the starters. The bench was not anything to write home about. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I want to, I want to get into Emmanuel quickly a little bit more because I have some thoughts on, on just how his rhythm and confidence are affected by playing with Derrick Rose. But first, Alex, let's take a quick break. Let me tell the people about betonline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time, updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's absolutely free to sign up. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. And if you use our promo code LOCKEDON, you receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that promo code is LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. We're covering everything you need to know about the Knicks. But what about the rest of sports? Now, the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. That's not like our podcast. That's good. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. All right, Alex, as promised, uh, I'm going to go on my, uh, my uh, I was going to say annual, but it, it's really, I would say episodic, Emmanuel quickly uh, diatribe. And uh, today, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to continue to see the ongoing relationship with him and Derek Rose. Initially, I thought it was, it was fairly symbiotic in nature, uh, quickly with his gravity, gave Rose room to get to the basket. And Rose, with his ability to break down a defense, got quickly open shots. And I was, I was like, all right, this is this is sort of best of both worlds. And I, I think Derrick Rose, with zero intention to be unselfish, just just kind of how the guy plays, um, he, he tends to dominate the basketball a little bit. And that has, I think, started to affect Emmanuel quickly. And as you noted, smartly, he quickly also had a stretch like this earlier this season. And it just it preceded um, his, his hottest run of the year. So it could just be quickly getting tired, quickly wearing down. Um, just a, a undersized rookie who wasn't drafted all that highly, uh, going going through a bit of a cold run with, with a lot of responsibility for an NBA team in a year where the team didn't have an offseason. That would also make a lot of sense. But I'm, I'm choosing to pin a little bit of it on, on Derrick Rose because I think Quickly's a guy who he obviously doesn't lack for confidence, right? We, we've seen that from day one. I mean, he, he really, really is advanced for such a young player and he works incredibly hard. And because of that, he knows how good he is and he, he executes it on a game to game basis because he has, he has a certain amount of ambition. And I think Tibbs is, it, it took a little bit in the early going, but Tibbs is really drilled into him. Hey, if you're fairly open, there's no such thing as a bad shot for you. We want you shooting. We're at our best when you're shooting, please do it. But his game is still contingent on rhythm, and I think there's still there's a little voice, and it's 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 maybe maybe I should say a loud voice because it's probably Tibbs's in the back of his head saying like, look, if you start struggling, if you start making bad decisions, I, I'm I'm gonna pull you. Sometimes you're gonna get the benefit of the doubt, but but not always. And we we've seen I, I generally give Tibbs a lot of credit in that respect because we've seen him let 
quickly play through long stretches. Tonight it wasn't really his fault that he had to pull him right away. Has quickly picked up three fouls in something like six minutes. But even if quickly's not losing confidence, I think he's losing rhythm with how inconsistent his time is as the primary on-the-ball threat. And we, we've seen so many times when he starts really feeling himself, it's when he gets to take like 10 dribbles in a row and go between his legs, behind his back, step back into a deep three. He, he, he's at his best when he can be Damian Lillard or Kyrie Irving for seven, eight-minute stretches. And when Derrick Rose is in there, it, it, it's not point guard by committee. Derrick Rose is the point guard. And I think that does wear on him a little bit. And initially, those first couple of games, it was looking so good, Alex. And I was like, you know what? It's worth the trade-off that quickly loses a little bit of time on ball, loses a little bit of that confidence. But ultimately, he's going to be getting way more wide-open threes, and he'll still have his possessions where he's the guy, and and Tibbs will get him some minutes without Rose. Right now, I think that rhythm is just a little off. And when Rose isn't making shots, it it just doesn't look very good because the Knicks don't have a lot of uh, ancillary firepower in that second unit outside of those two guards. Well, and I think it comes down to two, kind of like what I was saying before we went to the break. Like, I think Rose still is of the mind that if if his shot isn't falling, he needs to get it falling, and then everything else will kind of fall into place from there. Whereas in reality, I think he's at his best when he's mostly looking to distribute. You know, just use, like, it's it's almost like the threat of Derrick Rose scoring is more valuable than him actually scoring. You know, because it does seem like he still has those frustrating nights in him like he he did his first time here where he's just not going to hit shots and it's going to tank the team because that's all he's looking to do. Whereas what would be more valuable is if he misses his first two, you know, layups, floaters, mid-range shots, whatever, and then starts thinking, okay, well, how about I just get in and then look to kick it to somebody? And, you know, whether that's quickly or uh, Alec Burks or, you know, whoever, or maybe like a cutting Taj Gibson or something. I don't know anyone, you know, whatever the the case may be there, just get other people involved rather than getting himself involved, I think is going to be a key to him being successful this time around. Because like, I don't know, it just, it, it seems to me like, unless he's, unless he's scoring the ball, he thinks that his, you know, he still has work to do, you know, and and in reality, I think that his greatest utility could come not in scoring the ball, but being a guy that just kind of sets the table for others. Now, to your point, that still doesn't allow quickly to sort of work on the ball and be the primary ball handler like he might be best at. But at least we saw quickly, you know, in those first few games with Rose, benefiting from easy catch and shoot opportunities that Rose was giving him, benefiting from, you know, Rose starting the ball, swinging around the perimeter, finding it quickly. Um you know, even just from Rose getting him the ball and then just kind of everybody clearing out and letting quickly, you know, ISO if he got a mismatch or something and trying to draw a foul, which is, you know, it's not the ideal quickly bringing the ball down the floor to start with, but it is something, you know, it's it's something like that where, you know, at least he can get the ball and be allowed to just kind of figure things out. But yeah, I, I have noticed too, and I don't think it's a coincidence that these last couple games it seems like without any, you know, this is like purely anecdotal without any actual numbers or anything to back it up, but it seems like Rose has been the one bringing the ball down the floor quickly has been strictly off ball. Whereas in those first few games, part of what also made it work so well was that they seem to be sort of splitting those responsibilities at first, rather than it just being like all, uh, you know, all quickly or all Rose as it is in this case. I agree with you. And I wonder if, where do you ultimately think 
that all, do you think like maybe it comes down to like bringing Kevin Knox back into the rotation for to generate some of that juice? Maybe I don't know. I mean, it's tough to say. Like, you know, I guess right now they're running with you know it's like Taj comes out there and then Obi. You know, I feel like it would mean Knox taking minutes from Obi. I guess because otherwise, I I did really like what we were seeing with uh, Burks and Rosen quickly to start with. Like, I I think there's actually legitimate perimeter shooting and catch and shoot ability between those three plus the ability to move the ball and everything else. Like I think on paper, that's a good combo and, and plenty of shooting. And then Toppin, at least theoretically provides some floor spacing. I guess maybe you could experiment. You know, I think Toppin actually showed in this game that he had a really nice block of uh, Nas Reed at one point, which got called a foul, but it was definitely a block. Um, the Knicks had just used their, their challenge already at that point. But like, you know, there's that, there's like, um, you know, so some indications at least over the last few games that maybe you can run Toppin out there at center. So I guess maybe if you wanted to just kind of turbo it and throw Toppin, Knox, Burks, quickly Rose out there for a little bit to try to kind of get more spacing. But I don't know how you could, you know, I, I feel like the floor in theory is pretty well spaced as it is like Toppin the strategy is kind of working of having him shoot so many threes. He seems to be getting respect out there. Um, you know, but he's like, I don't know for sure if I'd trust him being the center right now, you know, if that makes sense. I, I just don't know how else you would work Knox in without, I guess, setting Burks down, but I thought he played pretty well in this game. Like if he could play like he played in this game, then I would want him getting more playing time going forward if he's ready to kind of break his little slump that he had going. Yeah, he was, he, I mean, he was essential down the stretch. He, he made those four straight free throws that, that locked up this game. And he, I mean, he, he was, he was ice. I, I, I do want to see what, what really frustrates me is that with Mitch out, they're still not running any pick and roll for OB. And obviously like Taj isn't like Nikola Vucevic spacing the floor at the five, but this is a point Benji made when he was on last week. And I, I totally agreed with him. Um, he can, he can shoot a little bit, certainly from the elbows and, and he'll hit the occasional three. You can't just totally, totally leave him. I mean, maybe, maybe if he's on the arc, but if he's somewhat on the perimeter, you can't just totally leave him out there. And it gives you a great opportunity. Like my, my whole second unit offense would be Quickly Rose handling, top and setting a screen and going to the rim again and again and again. And obviously, like, run some different sets, like, have some diversions, have some eye candy in, in another area on the floor. But get top and running to the rim. And, and they're just, um, like, people keep saying this, but they keep using him as if he's Kevin Knox. And right now, the guy just cannot shoot the ball. He puts so much arc on his shots. And nominally, that's a good thing. That's something you're taught pretty early as a shooter. Your shot is a better, your shot usually with, with somewhat diminishing returns if you go too high, usually is a better shot at going in the higher it is. Um, but that's, it, it's like, that's the only thing he ever learned about shooting. And, and there's just, there's no aim. And, and sometimes like when it goes in, it looks beautiful because it's right on the money. It's this beautiful arcing shot. And then when it's off, it just hits the side of the rim, the side of the backboard. And like whether or not it's perfect or it's completely off, seems totally at random. So you got to get Obi on the run doing what he does best. And, and we saw it tonight, like he had that beautiful, like high, low action with Taj where, where he hit him from the elbow for a little layup. This dude is at his best moving at high speeds, catching and either dunking or making a quick decision. And, and the Knicks just seem to refuse to use him that way, which I, I'm going to like, I'm going to parody or, or 
I guess, go off of a rant I heard uh, John Schmelk making on Pod Strickland, which everyone should shout out. A great, great cast of characters on that podcast. They do good work, even longer than ours, which is which is an accomplishment. Um, Schmelk was talking about like why draft Obi if his defense was going to be a deal breaker. I'll do you one better on that. Why draft Obi if you're not going to use him the way he needs to be used offensively when you finally have a golden opportunity of not playing him with a center that needs to sit around the rim game after game after game? It was just like they were expect either expecting a completely different player um, or they just had no plan for him. And that's, that's extremely frustrating. In a season that, by and large, has been extremely well coached, and, and the Knicks have, by and large, done an extremely good job in player development and putting guys like Randall and RJ in the best position to succeed. They have totally failed Obi Toppin. As much as he struggled in and of himself, um, this team continues to just do him no favors. Yeah, I I would say so as well to some degree. I do think, you know, he had some good moments in this game. Maybe it was sort of in spite of his usage, you know, as far as Obi's concerned. But, like, he did – the Knicks, I think, used him – I Prez pointed this out on Twitter, uh, that the Knicks really used him in a pretty creative way to bust the zone up in this game where they kind of – uh, they set him up with a pass. Like he got a pass from, I think it was Rose in like the high post. And then Taj cut back door and Obi with his lovely passing vision and ability hit him with this like gorgeous uh, pass in between two defenders, just cutting baseline with nobody paying attention to him because the zone was keyed in on Obi there. So that was a really nice look. You know, he had a good hustle play where he knocked one in. That was his only point to the game. Uh, as I mentioned, he had that, that one, block that wasn't actually called a block on Nas Reed. Um, so I, I thought it was a pretty good game for him. But yeah, to to your point, maybe the Knicks do need to start rethinking how they use him. This game, I, I do think that they did a little better job of not having him just sit on the perimeter the whole game, which is, I think, just a waste of whatever talents you know he has. Um, and instead, at least got him in some good passing situations and things of that nature, though they should be using him a lot more just in pick and roll as a roll man all day. Uh, and that would maybe be a way that you could offset whatever defensive limitations happen with him out there if you put him at center is to have him out there as your, you know, a really strong pick and roll threat, particularly with Mitchell Robinson out and with Nerlens Noel having his still hands made out of stone. Uh, but Gavin, I think we still got a decent amount to talk about here, but I do need to tell everybody about Built Bar. And Built Bar's awesome, best-tasting protein bars on the planet. I'm a huge fan of one of their new flavors, Coconut Brownie Chunk. I don't know if anybody's had a chance to get their hands on this one yet, but it is available on BuiltBar.com right now. Fantastic new flavor. Probably, I, I might go so far as to say my favorite Built Bar on the market right now. It's got like, they somehow made the the coconut layer even airier than normal so it's, it's almost like a nougat consistency whereas normally it's more like chewy almost like caramel on most of the other bars it's more like a nougaty kind of texture has these little bits of brownie on top all covered in chocolate really the closest experience i've had with a built bar to a pure candy bar and that's saying something because all built bars resemble candy bars you know there's some of my other favorites there's like cookies and cream Coconut almond, if you if you can't tell, I do like my coconut flavors. Uh, peanut butter is another one of my favorites. Toffee almond, fantastic. Uh, double chocolate, if I'm really in the mood for just some chocolate. 
banana bread, totally underrated flavor. And, you know, every single built bar covered in 100% natural chocolate. They're all soft and easy to chew. They all give you that candy bar experience. And they really don't break the bank as far as calories are concerned while giving you tons of protein to recover from your workout. For example, one of my favorites, again, coconut almonds, 18 grams of protein, just 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs in that bad boy, or cookies and cream. 17 grams of protein, just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. You're not going to find a better protein bar on the market. And if you want to check some out for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, and we're back for our last segment of Locked On Knicks. I promise we're finally going to get to the players that actually like won the Knicks this game. Um, you know, we're too busy harping on all the negatives that came up when they almost blew a 21-point lead to get on the positives. But just a reminder that, you know, after you get done with this show, check out Locked On NBA on Mondays because Josh Lloyd, the host of our wildly popular Locked On Fantasy Basketball show, takes you around the NBA's major headlines with the help of our local experts. Sometimes that means us, if there's big Knicks news. Uh, someday they will stop sleeping on us and bring us on for random Knicks victories. <laughs> Subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast today, wherever you get podcasts. Um, so, Gavin, I, I mentioned just a second ago, we're going to finally stop bearing the lead here and talk about the guys that won the game for the Knicks, those guys being Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. Uh Stat lines for those two, you already brought up Julius's, but I'll say it again. 25 points, 14 rebounds, 4 assists. Uh, shot 8 of 16 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, 7 of 8 from the free throw line. RJ Barrett, similarly great, 21 points, 10 of 20 shooting, 1 of 1 from 3-point land. Uh, went 0 of 1 on free throws, but probably should have had at least 6 free throw attempts by my count. Because he was getting robbed. Uh, I, again, I'm not... I'm never really one to harp on officiating too much, but particularly in this game where it got too close for comfort down the end, uh, it made me think, you know, maybe the Knicks should have really been up by about 30 in the third quarter rather than 21 uh, if the game was called properly. Uh, but RJ also had four rebounds, one assist, one steal, one block to go with those points. Those two guys led the team in plus minus as well which I believe I already mentioned, uh, RJ plus 20, Julius a plus 11. Uh, Gavin, I guess we can start with RJ. Like, though this was another, you know, a good sort of bounce back. There's been a lot of noise lately uh, in the tabloids, you know, on MSG, uh, whatever. You know, all the places that want to generate storylines have been talking about, oh, RJ's not playing a lot, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's only playing, like, 28 minutes a game or whatever and he's sat down the stretch a couple times and you know kind of leaving out the fact like yeah but the Knicks won a number of those games <laughs> so clearly they're just kind of riding the hot hand and RJ wasn't the hot hand that night which is fine that's gonna happen sometimes particularly when you know he's not yet a superstar you know you, we hope he can get there but he's not there yet um but yeah I mean just uh, a really good game from RJ, I thought. I thought he asserted himself well. Uh, he was getting to the hoop pretty often, was finishing at a pretty good clip. I don't have the the like zone numbers yet in front of me. I was trying to look on the NBA stats, but it was broken, at least when we started this podcast. So I, I wasn't able to check exactly where all of RJ's shots were. But 
Um, you know, he finished a number inside. He had a number that, you know, I don't know how many out of his 10 missed field goal attempts were shots that I thought he probably got fouled on. But I mean, he was doing a really good job of getting inside, absorbing contact and putting up a respectable take, um, you know, at a layup. And he got one foul call at one point for an and one, which was that one missed free throw of his. But Otherwise, I mean, he had like three of his makes I thought he got fouled on. Um, one in particular in the first half. I mean, he like drove into, I want to say it was Vanderbilt and Towns, uh, or it might have been Anthony Edwards and Towns. That was the play where he got was... he got tackled, basically. And Yeah, where he got knocked over. Yeah, Alex, if it was James Harden on that play, they would have called four fouls and it would have been eight free throws. It, it, was, it was nuts. That was like... The most, like, you are not a superstar, we are not going to give you a call type of disrespect from the refs. I've seen, to RJ in particular, who misses a lot of calls around the basket uh, all season long. Yeah, and what was, what's the worst about it? I mean, again, for a guy who says he doesn't complain about officiating, I've been definitely complaining about officiating a little bit these last couple of games. But in this particular one, like, it, it, I'm just getting kind of tired of the general vibe of, Things are ticky-tack for the Knicks when they're on defense. But when the Knicks are on offense, they have to get mugged to get a a free throw. And I don't know if this is just like years and years and years of Knicks ineptitude still following them where, you know, the refs are still like, oh, the Knicks suck. You know, this game doesn't matter for them anyway. But like the Knicks are almost 500 right now. Like I think everybody would prefer if the Knicks got called like a 500 team rather than a, you know, a team like the Wolves that are like, what seven and twenty something? I don't know. I think they've they've had to miss a couple games because of COVID, so they're not quite to the thirty game mark yet, if I'm not mistaken. But whatever, they have like seven wins for the year. Like they're not good. You know, they're, they're the team that should have, in theory, been getting called like the Knicks usually get called, uh, which is to say not good at all. And you know, there's just so many. You know, Nerlens Noel got fouled out in this game on some just really suspect foul calls. I mean, there was one where. You know, they showed on replay Towns, to me at least, was pretty clearly hooking him, you know, and hooking his arm and then sort of like hooked Noel's arm to keep it on him and then went up for a, it might have even been the last foul. Yeah, that's that's how he fouled out. Yeah. Yeah, that was the last one. He kind of hooked Noel's arm and then went for like a little baby hook to keep Noel's arm on him while he was shooting. And I'm just like, that's not a foul on Noel. That's a foul on Towns. Like he wasn't actually... He was a foul. He had his arm out, and then Towns kind of like turned into him, hooked his arm in, and then like went up for the free throw or free throw, went up for the the you know hook shot to get the free throws, and just yeah, it was it was a badly officiated game. So I thought it really could have been almost like a thirty point game for RJ all told if things would have been called right for him. But either way, I was really happy with the result for him. Um, you know, I think that he's a uh, he he's kind of on his way back up again after another, I guess, like mini slump. I, I wouldn't even really call how he was playing before that, like a slump, like his slump earlier in the year where he was just kind of shooting through it and being given like 35 minutes a game to go like, you know, whatever, like two for 18. Um, you know, this one has been more like Tibbs has just kind of been going with the hot hand and RJ just hasn't been hot. He's been a little below average. He isn't he, but he hasn't been like in the basement like he was earlier this season. But this game was a, a good step in the right direction. I think. Yeah, I thought this was this was one of the better two way games he's had all season, and it got started early. A really nice help side strip of Carl Anthony Towns 
Um, and, and I like that you, you can kind of see the development for RJ defensively where he's gotten to the point where he's confident against his own man. And, and he, he, I'll get into it in, in just a sec, but he, he worked wonders at points against um, Anthony Edwards in this one, like totally, totally outplaying Edwards, even though, I mean, RJ is just what, like a year, year and a half older than him. Um, so I had that help side strip of Carl Anthony Towns. And that, that comes from a place of I'm confident I can lock down my guy. I'm going to go help out uh, Taj or Nerlens or whoever's guarding the best player on the other team. And, and then and then that um, that like total like scramble play where it was like Rose and Burks and RJ diving all over the floor. And it, it ended up with uh, Burks throwing a really nice like lead pass to RJ. RJ runs it down. Big time slam. Um, had that layup where he got tackled. I really, I have no idea how that shot went in because I didn't even think he took a layup like un, with control of his own limbs. It seemed like the contact from behind kind of popped it out of his hand and it went high off the backboard, had some weird backspin on it, somehow dropped in. Um, he got another nice bucket uh, against against the zone. And, and the one, um, as, as as many areas as RJ has gotten better this year, and I think it's 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 less of it's less on RJ and more of a product of of how they're playing offense. But his his rookie year, we saw especially early on, he was so good at cutting off the ball, and and that's a that's an element of his game that, and it might just be because the Knicks don't have very many high level passers or guys who are consistently looking to pass outside of Randall. Um, but that part of his game has kind of gone dormant. And he had a nice little like pop into the lane against the zone. He saw an open spot. He said, "Let me let me just get to that get to that spot." And I think it helps when you're going up against Cat at center because he's he's not really much of a rim protector. So RJ said, "Let me get in here." Caught it, lefty lefty floater, easy. Uh, that my the play of the game for me was uh, Elf had two like I, I didn't think I, I didn't think he he was fine in this one. He he played pretty bad defense on Rubio offensively. I actually thought he was pretty good. He had two insane passes in this game. One of them was like this really nice backdoor hook pass to RJ that RJ missed the layup on. But then he also had that that lob in transition that RJ like hit him perfectly in stride. It was it was Tom Brady esque. RJ catches it um, and is sort of like a little too close to the basket, so he has to finish with the left hand, right side, no problem. Gets that done. And and then he's kind of like getting into the body. Uh, this is uh, I'm fast forwarding to the fourth quarter. Getting into the body on Anthony Edwards, sort of backing him down, backing him down, backing him down. Anthony Edwards, pretty strong guy, pretty good athlete, sticking with him, sticking with him. Drop reverse drop step, lefty finish, and one. Uh, RJ, I feel like anytime he's had a big like momentous and one opportunity this year, he always seems to miss the free throw. He missed the free throw, but that that was a really big play because. Um, the Wolves had opened the second half on that 17 to four spurt and they were, they got it to 93, 91. Um, eventually they would, they would take that 96, 95 lead, but for the moment that gave the Knicks a four point cushion. And it's, it's the type of play. It's the type of moment you're looking for from RJ. Another underrated play in this game. Uh, the Knicks had a really sloppy possession where if I'm remembering correctly, it was Elf just completely missed, um, Nerland's like rolling to the rim. It was just a really bad pass or Nerland's wasn't looking for it. Uh, and Minnesota gets out in transition. Looks like they're going to have a, a layup. RJ runs down, and this is one of the hardest things to do in the NBA. It's a skill that Danny Green has mastered. Um, getting that strip in transition, and RJ was able to, against Anthony Edwards, who, like like you saw what he did to a U2 Wanatabe the other night, most guys would just say, you know, I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to let Edwards dunk it. Uh, but RJ ran him down, stripped the ball, Big-time play. If I'm remembering correctly, the Wolves did not score on that possession. It ended up being pivotal given the final margin 
And, and then that that final great play uh, down the stretch um, where he I'm, I'm calling I'm calling it, he did the quickly thing where he puts the guy in jail from now on. I'm going to refer to it as quickly booty jail or QBJ for short. He did that hook dribble, then burst into the lane, lefty finish over Towns. Again, just mature, patient playmaking where a year ago he would have just gone straight to the basket. And ironically, he did that the next play and got blocked by Towns. But on that one, just just a high level of of not letting a defense or a pivotal situation speed him up. And it's that kind of maturity. It's that kind of internal clock that, at least for me, Alex, it continues to give me faith that there's stardom within that guy because he just has such a mind for the game and such a high level of intuition. And not, not to, I know, I know I'm already going really deep on this rant, but um, for everything RJ like lacks athletically and, and sometimes skill wise in terms of his lack of shot, you, you can, you can just sense the pedigree from him always that, that he was the best player in the world in his age group from a good chunk of his life. And, and like the training that came with growing up with a professional for a dad and Steve Nash as his godfather in big moments of big games like that, it really, really comes through in terms of how common he is. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. I was kind of thinking about this the other day, and maybe this will be like a whole show at some point. But, you know, I wrote this in my notes, like from the last game, um, that the Knicks just, they have, I don't know if they have a single elite, like, athlete on the team, at least not like functionally, you know what I mean? Other than at the center spot, yeah. where I think, I think Mitch and you could even argue Nerlens are both like, phenomenal athletes but they don't have like a wing or guard elite athlete they just have like super cagey guily guily is that a sure. word yeah <laughs> guys with lots of guile yeah. uh <laughs> type of guys at their you know at their main skill positions with quickly rj randall you know like they're just workers that have just figured out the game you know randall it's funny to say this about him now but you know, it's it's definitely true this year versus what we would have said last year. But, you know, just those three guys in particular that you figure are probably their building blocks for at least the next number of years are all just like very smart, heady dudes that make the most out of what physical gifts they have and are very, very effective doing so. And, you know, that's what I feel about RJ as well. You know, I, I think if there's one thing that you can't question at all, with those core three guys with the Knicks, you know, maybe you can question their ability to become elite um, or, you know, their uh, whatever, like their ability to get s- leagues and leagues better than what they are now. Like for Randall to level up from just like a star that he is now to like a mega superstar or something for RJ to go from, you know, a promising young player to a star at some point for quickly to do the same thing. Maybe it doesn't happen just because of skill or whatever, but all three of those guys just have a phenomenal work ethic to where – and and just smarts about the game to where I at least feel confident with all of them that, you know, maybe Randall shows a little regression at some point, you know, so maybe there's that to factor in with him. But at least as far as like RJ and quickly, I think more or less the – I wouldn't say the absolute best of what we see from them, but the good level of what we see from them, I think is their floor in this league because they're always going to work harder than everybody else. They're always going to have a good head on their shoulders and they're always going to have some tangible NBA skills that they're really good at. 
Um, in RJ's case, it's like defense, getting to the getting to the rim to some degree, passing. You know, RJ is just kind of like his worst case scenarios. He does everything pretty good, but nothing fantastic. Um, with quickly, it's like he's always going to have the outside shooting. Um, he's always going to be a pretty good pick and roll player, and he'll always be like a passable defender and all that. And like I feel confident now at this point, however many games into this season, thirty one now, uh, in saying that those guys, you know, have very very high floors. I think uh, even though they're not elite athletes, they don't have that. Like I guess the the counterpoint to all that is like Anthony Edwards on the other side, where he has all the physical gifts in the world. You just brought up like his dunk the other night, which like lit the league on fire. But then like our locked on colleague, uh, Nate Duncan got <laughs> pun intended dunked on, uh, on Twitter for being like, yo, Anthony Edwards just hit this huge dunk, but he's, you know, like three for 13 and has like, you know, it was like a negative player tonight. So enjoy the dunk, I guess. Uh, which, you know, maybe just enjoy things a little more Nate from coworker to coworker, I guess. But you know, in general, it's like that's sort of the player that Edwards is where it's like he has all the physical tools in the world to be like the next, I don't know, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, whatever, you know, to to be this like physical scoring freak. But he might not have the discipline or the, you know, the work ethic or whatever to get himself to that level because he's more of like a like a prime Dwight Howard personality wise or whatever, where it just kind of seems like he's. He's using his very prodigious natural gifts to do some cool shit on a basketball court, but he really needs to put it together in his head and, you know, start taking, it seems like start taking things a little more seriously to ever reach the next level in his game from just sort of like a scintillating athlete to like a really high powered skill player in the NBA. Yeah. I don't know if that, I, I think I disagree slightly on Edwards just because, I mean, this is, this is a topic for another podcast, but just because his like developmental background was so screwed up, like in high school, like he he like they literally just gave him the ball, and, th- and this was after he played football his whole life, and we're like, do whatever you want at Georgia. It was kind of that too. I I sort of like tonight what we saw. Like he he's he for someone a- again who has had a far from ideal basketball background. Like he he makes some smart passes, and he he's just he's pretty unselfish. Like he wasn't. I, I think earlier in the year he was just kind of jacking stuff up in a lot of those situations. But this year he would get to the elbow, and he'd be like, you know what? I could shoot this. I'm going to kick it out to Ricky Rubio, who's who's wide open for three. I, I think he's. I, I actually think he's. I, I wouldn't put him in a category with Dwight. I, I think he's. I, I see what you mean in terms of just like someone with all the tools in the world who right now it just it looks like a mess because he doesn't really know how to play basketball yet. But I would. I think I'd I would bank on him figuring out a decent chunk of that because I, I do think he's he's a hard worker and I I, I do think um again he's he's just someone who's so so raw but I, I I the point on the whole I totally agree with you and it's it's a fascinating conversation I mean watching this game tonight and you say look like Edwards like tools wise like blows RJ out of the water in every single category but RJ again who's not like he, he's he's older than him but he's not way older than him just like completely completely like kicked his ass oh and, and by the way uh this is this is breaking news in the moment uh the minnesota timberwolves just fire fired ryan saunders hmm. yeah well the next wow, that's, that's, that's a good end. first coach yeah, good end to that rant yeah apparently for, for as much yeah. as the knicks have improved it's still a fireable offense to lose to them by four on the road <laughs> i guess man i i would have i would have kept him based off this game 
<laughs> I mean, I thought, they, I thought they came back pretty admirably. Yeah. I'm missing D'Lo. That was, I mean, I would, I would say he outcoached Tibbs in this one. <laughs> I would, I would say at this point, even despite all the injuries and COVID-related stuff that they've had to deal with, I guess at this point, the Wolves are just kind of like uh, unhappy with being the worst team in the league again, considering the considerable amount of payroll and draft capital they've dumped into this team, I guess. But I don't know. It seems a little unfair to me, but who am I to say? We just have the coach that they fired the last time. So (laughs) (laughs) Ryan Saunders, next Knicks coach. Yeah. (laughs) X number of years from now, we need to get Frank. Isola writing those columns right now. (laughs) Ryan, Ryan Saunders is younger than LeBron. So he's still, he still has a pretty bright future in the NBA. Is he actually 34? Yeah. Wow, good for him, man. Yeah. yeah, he's younger than a decent amount of of the honor guard in the yeah, league. Yeah, uh, Udonis Haslam could be his grandfather. <laughs> Udonis Haslam could be all of our yeah. grandfather, I think. All right, uh, I, uh, I would say we should finish, but we still really haven't talked about Julius Randle at all. Yeah, let's just give Julius Randle like a quick little shout yeah, out. Like, he's good. He's really good. I, I I enjoyed his game a lot. I mean, I thought that he he did what he does lately, where he. You know, he was part of what was making the Knicks the best at their best moments. And then, you know, he was part of them kind of taking the lead in the first quarter and, you know, playing well throughout the end of the first half. And then third quarter, when they really started to break away, it was him on offense, you know, along with RJ to some degree. And Taj Gibson, I think we already kind of shouted out, but he played great defense in the third quarter. I mean, he was like, he was affecting everything. I mean, the, the Wolves were not playing well at all in that quarter strictly because Taj Gibson was was doing his thing out there um and you know defending cat and everything else and because it, it was he came in just because Nerland's got in foul trouble which again I don't know how much of that is attributable to him versus bad officiating but um you know Taj played fantastic in those minutes but Julius you know was a big part of the offense clicking the way that it did um you know just making all of his signature shots, I guess. I, he had one, I'm trying to remember which, during which, like, Nick's run it was. I think it was in the second quarter that he had this one, where he had a, a really great little back down. And then I think he was on, I think he had Jared Vanderbilt yeah. on him, who he sort of abused all night. Um, so you could probably say this about most of his scoring plays, but backed him down and then just took a nice little spin baseline for a for a pretty strong dunk. That was a fun one. Um, you know, had a really nice corner three. Uh, at one point, that was cool. Had the, oh, to end the first half, just like casually brought the ball down the court. I think it was also Vanderbilt. Poor Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, <laughs> Kentucky on Kentucky crime. Uh, but he had Vanderbilt on him and just calmly stood there, dribbled the clock down, and then crossed him up a couple times, took like half a step in, and then did sort of like a, a step back, sidestep, pull up three. Just canned that right in his face before the end of the half. And uh, all in all, yeah, just another fantastic game from Julius. I will say the one thing that I've been noticing a little bit lately is I think that he's, and maybe it's just a product of how the Knicks have been playing lately where things have been a little stagnant, but I think Randall is relying on himself to score more so than facilitate lately, which I hope we see him maybe starting to, I don't want to say he doesn't trust his teammates, but I hope that we start seeing him being more of a mindset of trying to get others involved again for when the shot stops falling at this like stupidly hot rate that it has been lately. 
But, you know, again, I, I can't calculate true shooting percentage off the top of my head, but I know that, you know, eight of 16 shooting where you got two of four on threes and seven of eight on free throws is probably, you know, that's 50% shooting for the night, but that's probably more like 65 to 67% true shooting for the night, which is just ridiculously good. And you can't complain with that at all. Um, You know, and again, 25 points, like asserting himself on the boards and getting 14 rebounds against a team with like a legitimate rebound gobbler in Carl Anthony Towns. Like that's impressive in its own respect as well. Um, I think that he definitely, you know, deserves kudos for having a good game. Even if, like you said, it, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't even put this among his top five games this year. No way. Yeah. But it's just another another nightly excellent game from Julius Randle. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he he had highs and lows in this one. Like when the Timberwolves were making this run, I thought I thought it was a little bit of a regression at points in terms of he w- he was forcing some shots. Uh, when it was ninety five ninety four, he completely airballed a jump hook. Um, yep. And and then there was another play that I, I was just kind of shocked by. Like Rose threw him this great pass, and, and he had a wide open ten footer, the shot that he's he, he's been hitting all year, like fading away from guys. And I thought he was almost—he was so stunned to be set up by a teammate. He was like, "Oh my god, this hasn't this hasn't happened since I was I was in New Orleans. What do, what do I do with it?" <laughs> he just he didn't shoot the ball. Um, so there are there are a few poor moments, but I, I loved uh, down the stretch that he just uh, he like drove in and got that foul like went right into the body of Jaden McDaniels. Towns came in to help, and he he just he he got to the line and he, he sank two free throws. Like it was nothing. And I think that really, that epitomizes his growth in that he can get to the rim. Like last year, it was chaos whenever he tried to do anything at the end of the game. But he can get to the rim now because teams have to respect his three-pointer. And it it turns into, I mean, I was I was watching it earlier with Zion Williamson against the Celtics where down the stretch, like they, they would put Tristan Thompson on him and there was just like, he's just too big, too strong. He was going to find a way to get to the rim. And obviously Randall isn't quite that explosive and not quite that, and excuse me, not, not quite that strong, but he's, he's pretty close. And given that unlike with Zion, you cannot play off of him. It, he, he's almost as deadly down the stretch, just getting to the line. And and I'm shocked that I'm saying this because I never would have been last year. But when he when he went to the line, I was like, all right, he's he's going to sink both of these, and he did. His jumper just looks so so easy this year compared to last season. Like particularly from three, I always felt like he was shooting a bowling ball. It was short every single time. It seemed like his legs would just die from that far out. Even early in the season, I, after like he opened up the year really hot, I was noticing that, and I, you you just kind of thinking like all right, he's improved in so many different ways. This is amazing. Like You can't really ask for anything more. Carrying such a big load, he's not going to be able to shoot through. His legs are going to be like dead the entire night from from constantly like getting rebounds on defense, boxing out, sliding his feet, handling the toughest big man assignment on the perimeter, and then having to bully his way inside. But he, he's shooting it like he's shooting a kid's ball right now. It looks so feathery. It looks so light. It looks like he's been a great shooter his whole life. And that's that's the highest compliment I can pay him for someone who was so, so down on his jumper last season. So shout out to Randall. Very quick shout out to uh, Reggie Bullock, who uh, really struggled this game offensively, but played amazing defense on Malik Beasley, who has been the Timberwolves, like, I mean, basically their best scorer with Towns and, and, um, and uh, like a lot of their other best options missing so much time this year. I mean, Beasley, I'm, I'm just clicking on his game log right now. I have him on a fantasy team, so I know he was, absolutely rolling going into this game um and and Bullock just 
shut him down. I mean, he, he had six points tonight, and he, he didn't even, like, I, I forgot that he was playing for different stretches. Like, yeah, two games ago against the Pacers, the dude had 31. Against Toronto, 13. Uh, well, last few games have been bad. Lakers, 11. But before that, Toronto, 20. Charlotte, 31. Clippers, 21. Dallas, 30. This dude has been a bonafide bucket all year. Reggie Bullock, who I, I've questioned and I've said, you know, is RJ really the Knicks' best perimeter defender? Bullock was great on that end. And I think that, that was a big part of the reason. The Knicks got such a big lead because outside of towns, it felt like Minnesota didn't have another option all night. So I agree. Great for Reggie Bullock. I wanted to, I was holding on to this one moment for the thing you said, but I wanted you to finish what you, what you were going to say. But when you mentioned Randall with the free throws at the end of the game, I got a funny anecdote to go with that. Cause I also had the same feeling tonight of, Oh yeah, he's going to make those. And, but literally as he was shooting those free throws, I thought back to this moment. It wasn't last year. Now it was all the way back in 2019, I believe. Um, I was, I don't know if people remember from listening to the show or if you're new, I, I did for a while get to cover the Knicks for Sports Illustrated. They're doing like a Knicks vertical. And um, I got to cover Mike Miller's first game as one of my games for them. And so I was at MSG and I was in the you know press area and uh, watching the game. And uh, as it so happened, I got seated next to uh, Malika Andrews with ESPN that night, who uh, hadn't really had her big come up from the bubble yet, which like shout out to her. She's fantastic at her job, but she was just sitting there. I, don't, I guess just taking in the game. I think she was working on some other story or something, but it got close late and the Knicks wound up only losing that game by one point to the Pacers in that game. Um, but it came down to it where Randall got fouled with, you know, the Knicks down to with like, there was like fractions of a second left on the clock at that point. And so he could have hit two free throws to send it to overtime. And I remember sitting there and like, you know, when you're, when you're there as like media, like you try to do your best to hold in your fandom or whatever, but I was always kind of bad at that. So it was probably pretty obvious that I sort of had a rooting interest in this game and was like a Knicks fan. And so Randall goes up to the line and he's, he's going up to shoot his two free throws and he shoots the first one and makes it. And I'm like, Oh boy. I'm like, Oh man, it comes down to this. And uh, Balika Andrews turns to me and goes, do you think he's going to make this one? Or like, and I looked right at her and I just laughed. And I was like, no, he's going to miss it. <laughs> like, there's no way he's going to make this free throw. The Knicks don't get these. And then he missed it. And the Knicks lost the game. And I, that was very funny. I called, I called yeah. Randall's missed free throw to Malika Andrews. That was a good uh, That's one. a good story. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this time around, what a difference a season makes. You know, this time around, I felt very confident that Randall was going to cold-bloodedly sink two free throws. And that is exactly what he did. And then Alec Burks hit two other free throws as well. And the Knicks came away with the victory. So, fun story to end the pot on, Gavin. Because I don't think we have too much more to talk about at this point, right? I feel like, I we, I feel like we always drop these gems, like, 55 minutes in, where there's nine people still listening. And we got to, we, we maybe, one day we just got to, like, make the third segment the first segment just just surprise some people they're missing you guys are missing out tell your friend third segment is really 57 minutes in on a sunday night is where we peak but no i'm, I'm, I'm yeah done. this is the <laughs> yeah this is truly the uh 
the the best part of the show. But this is how we do, we weed out the diehards. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you deserve this is like our Patreon that's completely free, and most people don't. Yeah, work. this is our this is our Patreon yeah. exactly. Yeah. If you make it this far, congrats, you get the cool anecdotes. Yep. Uh, but I'm glad that I got to fit that one in there. That's good, and that you reminded me to do that because I literally, I, I'm not even kidding. Like I did think of that during the game, like as he was going up for those two free throws, I was like. Man, I'll never forget that time that Malika Andrews went to me. Is he going to make this free throw? And I laughed in her face and said, no, he's not. <laughs> and then he missed it. It was kind of a win-win for you. because either either you got like the classic reverse jinx, Nick's win, or or you look really good in front of the ESPN person. Like this, this guy, this guy knows what he's talking about. Exactly. I can't believe they haven't hired me yeah. yet, to be completely honest. But, you know, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> She's been recommending you internally for months. But <laughs> yeah, can predict like, the future. <laughs> I don't even remember this guy's name, but this guy called it with Julius Randle with the free throw that one time. You should really hire him. Oh, who is he? I, I don't know. I don't know. Some dude. Posting and <laughs> posting and grilling? I don't know. I can't. I'm not sure. <laughs> I did have Sports Illustrated on my placard at that yeah. point, so that did make me look like hot yeah, shit. She, she, so. It was Chris Ballard. Who was, uh... yeah, it's Chris Mannix yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Any one of those guys. Anyway, all right. On that note, on this happy, laughy note, uh, this has been Locked On Knicks. We'll be back. There are more games coming up this week. So we'll have that, plus maybe some guests, plus whatever. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Until next time, though, peace out. We will talk to you all soon.